The Power of Hydrogen to the X, The Vortzila Ship, Reita Kaila, Episode 40. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week, we speak with Reita Kaila, Director for Sustainable Fuels and Environment at Vortzila. She holds a Doctorate of Science in Industrial Chemistry, and if you review her CV and listen to our discussion, you'll both see and hear her drive to both research and operationalize a more circular form of power production in both industry and academia. She is a true scientist in solving problems and holding substantial experience to solve some of the key technological challenges we are facing, such as using hydrogen and gas in power production and propulsion. On the surface, Reita differs from previous guests because she works for a large corporation, which is Vartzila. But as you'll hear, Vartzila is a company that is the energy transition. That is, they are the ones building the power plants, the engines, and the batteries that underpin the energy and transport system of the current fossil fuel era. And as you'll also hear, the future era of lower or Let's even hope zero carbon engines and storage options. Vortzila, which according to their website, is a global leader in smart technologies and complete life cycle solutions for the marine and energy markets. I just took that from the internet. But in 2020, and this is actually really important, Vortzila's net sales told 4.6 billion euros with approximately 18,000 employees. The company has operations over 200 locations in more than 70 countries around the world. That's the general description, as I said, from the website. So you can see it's a huge corporation and they're doing lots of stuff. So when we talk about the energy transition, corporations, companies, this technology is essential. And so that's why I had Rita on today to really get into the the research, the development, and how these engines and the energy systems are designed at the very end. So what are you going to learn today? First, you'll learn about pink hydrogen. I didn't hear this before, but this is only my teaser, so you actually have to listen to the show to find out what pink hydrogen is. Second, you'll find out how and why designing and building power and pollution abatement equipment for ships drives innovative solutions. Designing these for small environments can translate into big innovations on land. So think about designing something for a ship and how innovative and actually small that has to be, right? And then you can take something, what you learn, and then have it on land. And you'll find about the benefits of, of course, building on land, but also how these smaller places uh, forces greater innovation. What I really liked our discussion uh, about our discussion is about working in a marine environment, particularly on ships. And because if you think about the Earth, it's one big giant spaceship, right? William Shatner just went out into outer space and he could see it for himself. But as Reita tells us, the engines of a ship can produce 90 megawatts, watts, which is the same as that consumed by a big city. And if you think about this, the size that we are talking about, about the massive infrastructure being built just by Vartzila, this is really impressive. And this is really the technology that we do need for this energy transition. 
Uh, we'll also talk about innovation, and as Reta discovered, it's not just done in the laboratory, but as she points out, it's about solving problems for customers. She uses an example of what to do with gases coming from boiling heavy oil or bulk oil on a ship, and they discovered you can mix it with LNG and feed it back into the engine, and voila, not only do you get more power, but you get innovation as well. And among other topics, we learn about PowerX, which is the program that looks to understand what to do with extra electricity on the grids created by renewable energy. Some of it can go into battery storage, that's good for a few hours, but others, of course, it can be turned into hydrogen for longer storage. So our discussion of hydrogen comes about halfway through, and you'll find it really exciting, at least I found it, because I learned a whole bunch of new stuff about the properties of hydrogen gas, and how you can even mix 25% hydrogen and 75% natural gas and use that in current engines. Um, so just don't try that at home. Now at the end of the interview, um, with an understanding, we have an understanding that the role of society in 2050 is really important and all of society has to get us there. And we're hoping definitely by the end of uh, 2050 that we're running on pure hydrogen. Overall, I found our conversation fascinating for understanding what are the new technologies and technological solutions being developed and what are companies asking for as well. So what is the machinery that is powering our energy transition tomorrow? And just so you know, the intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now for this week's episode. I'm welcoming on to the My Energy 2050 podcast, Reta Karila, Director for Sustainable Fuels and Environment at Wartzilla. I was in really interested to have you on, Reta, um, because I'm interested to learn why Wartzilla is a global leader in new technologies. And I really have to say as well, your background as a research scientist on renewable gases and I want to mention right at the start that you hold a doctorate of science in industrial chemistry, if I get that right, along with holding a range of senior research and engineering positions. So welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thank you, Michael, and uh, thank you for the introduction. Yes, thank you. And uh, you have a long history, in fact, in, in uh, um, maybe you could maybe just I always have this basic question I ask at the beginning, and it's how did you become interested in energy? And I see you've really pursued this research track into gases. Uh, I, I don't, maybe you can describe it a bit better, but, but now and how your career has grown uh, as well is really impressive. So maybe at the beginning, why, why did you do uh, a PhD and the research that you did at the beginning and how did your career develop? Uh, since then, yeah, thank you. Um, that's a very, actually, a very fundamental, fundamental question, um, and it boils down to to the times of uh, my studies and when I was selecting my major. Um, it was one day when, when in a way, my values and I, my mission crystallized to me, and I understood. I was actually going to study biochemistry and microbiology or and something like that, but then I realized that actually. Um, what irritates me is, is the polluting industry. And if I want to make a change in the chemical industry, it is actually, I can make a, a bigger impact if I try to affect it from the inside instead of barking from outside, you know. So yeah. the green activist, in a way, uh, in my head, moved to the other side. And um, then I, I chose industrial chemistry as my major. And um, I'm still, I think, on that path. Um, 
having a clear mission. Uh huh. And then you, you've done a lot of research uh, in this area of industrial uh, chemistry for, for gases. Could you explain that? Because I, I find it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I did my master's on hydrogen production uh, for fuel cells 20 years back, and um, I continued with my PhD on the same topic, developing catalysts um, for, for hydrogen production. And actually, that was my first contact point also with Vertila at that time. Um, Vertila was part of the project that was funding my research. And um, well, when I then had my, my doctoral thesis completed, I, I went then to, to the real industry. Um, I did some process engineering in, at Neste Oil um, or Neste Jacobs, uh, the engineering company. And that is where I learned my basics on process engineering and, and about process safety and um, all the details you need to understand of, of building big big industrial plants. But uh, it was just uh, practicalities. It was quite a distance uh, from home to travel to, to that um, site. So then, then I moved back to, uh, uh, to the research center of Finland, which was nearby. Uh, I was then a senior researcher uh, going back to, to biochemicals and waste streams of the pulp and paper industry at that time. I was uh, doing research on, on trying to utilize the side streams and uh, making valuable uh, components out of that for the chemical industry. And uh, well, then um, by sudden I, I noticed uh, an open position in Vertsila and it was about utilizing waste streams from the oil and gas industry in the offshore um, from, from the oil production where you get a lot of associated gases and uh, typically you just flare them to the atmosphere. But those were huge volumes um, and huge energy content that you just released to the atmosphere. And, and um, that was my fir first assignment in Vertsila then to, to try to um, um, cap uh, capture those and, and um, upgrade them into something valuable that you can utilize actually in the Vertsila engines. And that is when, when I then uh, joined Vertsila and I was a process engineer or expert for, for the first five years um, doing all the, all the, design of these these plants and a scale up and um, a lot of customer contacts with uh, business case studies in in offshore trying to to bring value um, turn waste into value uh -huh. excellent so I, yeah. I mean I really see I get from you then that your research interests have really driven the jobs that you take on yeah definitely I, I think there is a, a little researcher inside me and I'm really into the details trying to understand what's what is the basis and and I try to understand always that the true yeah, technology and, and the value, uh, what value are you creating actually? But then of course you need to connect that also to the bigger picture and, and that's the other side of me. I, I really love to draw the big picture and understand um, the, the little piece and the, the importance of the little piece in the big picture because yeah, the devil is in the details after all. So you need to understand also that part. Yeah, right. And so Vatsila, I'm, I'm going to get it right by the end of the interview. Um, yeah. This is just a massive company. And I mean, I've heard the name before and I've seen it around, of course. But this actually gives you, I don't want to say a platform for your, I kind of want to say your, a platform for your research, right? Your interests, at least. Yeah. But maybe you could describe uh, the company overall. Um, and the many things it does. Yeah, actually, that, yeah, that's a very nice one because um, I've been working in many parts of the, the company 
uh, to simplify it, you can split Vertsila into marine business and energy business. And um, then we, of course, have services for both. But under marine, you have basically all the technology you can imagine uh, you need to have on a ship uh, below deck. So all, in, anything um, in the engine rooms um, to propulsion, all the em- emission um, abatement systems. Uh, you have hull design, all automation, like it's everything you, you need. Um, in that role, I've been actually 10 years working for the marine business and the offshore. So uh, shipping is, is close to my heart. Um, I moved from, from offshore to marine uh, and the shipping also th- uh, through capturing boil of gases from cargo systems, um, from cargo ships and tankers, and how to utilize the boil of uh, as fuel again. And and then uh, suddenly I noticed that I'm, I'm working very closely with gas engines and LNG as, as fuel for shipping. And um, then I became sales manager for LNG fuel gas supply systems, and I was uh, traveling all around Asia, visiting Asian shipyards on, on LNG and... Um, it, yeah, it, that was quite some learning on on the shipping industry and and what kind of segments you have in shipping. Can can I? I want to interrupt here because yeah. what you just described, what goes on in a ship, and you didn't get to the energy side of the business, but maybe we'd stop right here and talk <laughs> about the marine side because it's really interesting, right? So you're trying to uh, retain and reuse what's going on in, on the ship. And how, how does that... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's in a way, the ship, if you, for instance, consider a cruise ship, it's it's like a big city, but it's an isolated island that is sailing. So every, always everything you need to somehow reutilize um, and, and you don't have much space. So everything has to be very compact and, and still it has to be safe. You are not allowed to release emissions. You, so... It has to work. So it's it's very integrated system, after all. Very fascinating. But then uh-huh. there is this connection to energy side because yes. the engine, it's the same engine. You talk about same power output. A, a cruise ship can have 90 megawatts, like, like a big city. <laughs> so um, it's just a sailing power plant, but then you can have it also onshore. And yeah, so that's so the they can, you point. can utilize the same technologies for yeah. onshore. Yeah, we are using the same engines, but mm-hmm. of course, for the marine, you need to have the marine classification and uh, certain then standards to be fulfilled. And then uh, on onshore, you have then the, all, all the local legislation um, to comply on emissions and noise and. Okay, so that sounds complex. The <laughs> <laughs> regulations. Yeah, I would say it's it's rather complex nowadays, and getting. Um, just more uh, strict with with all the decarbonization and and the emissions, um, especially California, Europe, yeah. Australia. Is, uh-huh. so. And and so my my question, and this is why I approached uh, the company, was really to find out why is it such a leader in this area, and can you see maybe. Uh, maybe you're biased, which is fine, right? So, so, but, but I, I would say, um, is is this marine division where you have to make things compact? It sounds like it's a, it's a really tight environment, and working with the customers, and even that we mentioned the regulations, it so- sounds like you have to be really innovative in this mm. space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, part of the the innovation and why we have been a leading in technology comes maybe from the experience. We are a rather old company, um, established in 1834, if I remember it correctly. 
what's what's the similarity or what's same within marine business and energy it's it's the engine um which connects these two different industries because uh, in shipping um the cruise ship can be like a like a sailing city it, it consumes 90 megawatts of power so uh, it's just an isolated island sailing and um, the same power plant we can also then have on shore uh, there are so that's that's combining these two industries but of course they come with their different regulations and legislations and um, uh, classification requirements and so on mm-hmm. and how are the the when when it comes to you mentioned both your involvement for offshore uh, drilling and the releasing of the of the gas in that environment, and also something similar for the the ships as well. Mm-hmm. What kind of technologies uh, were developed to, yeah, it, with this idea of reducing the emissions? Yeah, I think one of the very um, innovations always come come when you don't expect them to come. Of course, it's uh, by sudden and by mistake. Um, but we were actually. We had a tanker with a customer um, for crude crude oil, and that was releasing oil of gas. It's always when you were um, unloading or loading crude oil, you you were having oil of releases, and and these we were capturing and considering if that could be then converted into a cleaner gas so that you could use it in the geofuel engines. Uh, this tanker started to have um, LNG as the primary fuel. And then we actually, when collecting the boil off of the heavy oil, um, having quite heavy fractions of, of hydrocarbons, uh, we realized that you can actually blend that together with LNG and feed that to as gas to the gas engine. So you just need to control the methane number of, of the fuel so that um, uh, you don't need to derate the engine too much. But actually, um, we could simplify the whole concept um, by uh, designing a blending system, so now we can capture these boil of gases instead of what is what has was done in the past is that you you anyhow need to collect them when you are uh, filling your cargo, uh, loading your cargo. Uh, typically, because you are not measuring the emissions, you might uh, release the boil off um, out in the sea. But now um, with this technology, you don't need to do it anymore. So you can utilize that as few. I think that is one of the biggest innovations that um, I have uh, come across on, on my career. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's an example of a customer coming to you with a problem and then you designing it and then also has these bigger uh, ramifications as well for environmental regulations that, that come out later on as well. Mm. So I, for me, for me, it's a, uh, yeah, in the, we could say as a case study itself is, is very interesting. And um, I was interested more to um, go into your research and your knowledge about hydrogen. And uh, I've seen on Vartzila that you're preparing or have prepared, I I would say, (laughs) for introducing hydrogen engines. And could you maybe um, provide a bit of a status update about hydrogen? Because these are large engines or even small engines. And and what is the role of hydrogen in shipping? Um, In shipping? Yeah. Or or, or, or or because it's the same, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah, that's um, that's also um, very nice. I I was working when I was selling the LNG systems uh, in the marine. I was working closely with the cruise um, ship owners, and of course, they in a way want to be one one step ahead. They want to go uh, for for greener fuels. And uh, quite in early stage, we were already discussing hydrogen as a uh, potential fuel for them and fuel cells. But it turned out that on on ship where you 
have rather limited space and, and shape, um, there was no space for hydrogen. It's The energy density is not that high. And um, therefore, I think, and I do see shipping going more to to liquid fuels that are easier to transport and store. And um, in marine, um, we are investigating the possibility of utilizing ammonia, for instance. But of course, mm-hmm. you, you always have LNG. LNG you can convert or you can blend in bio LNG or synthetic LNG. So that's also a way to, to decarbonize the shipping. But then again, if you think of onshore applications and power plants, there you don't have limitations of, of space. So there you can uh, utilize hydrogen. And that's what we are looking into on our power plant side. Mm-hmm. And do you, um, I mean, because there's this, so my, my knowledge compared to your knowledge is very, very, very limited. So I, maybe my questions are pretty basic, but, but I mean, the idea nowadays is we can ship hydrogen through the gas pipeline mm-hmm. so we can re- repurpose those. But I'm just wondering on the, on the engine side of things, or even the gen- generator side of things, is this conversion, how much um, do you have to convert and car- can you carry over from, uh, I would say, a gas engine to a hydrogen engine? What's what's the technological levels there? Yeah, that's a good question because there are many unknowns also for us. Um, we are we have started these studies. We have uh, investigated hydrogen for actually 20 years already in, in some context. Um, but now, of course, um, since last year, we have been looking in, into hydrogen uh, with a specific uh, development program that we have. And an R&D program on several levels. Um, we are studying the combustion properties. We are studying sin- uh, single cylinder uh, surrounding, and then in the in the lab engine scale, and and of course with customers then on sites uh, for really long term operation. That is our plan. Um, but yeah, the starting point for us is a gas engine, and what we are doing today is that uh, we are testing the gas engine with hydrogen and see how well it performs with, with the given um, components and um, by fine-tuning certain parameters. And um, of course, for pure hydrogen, we do see that the top part of the engine most likely needs to be updated, uh, the fuel supply systems. And um, we do also see that emissions might be a bit different. Um, although hydrogen is carbon-free, uh, most likely you will have NOx emissions, for instance. So um, what's the level of those? And if if the SCRs, the selective um, catalytic reduction, uh, needs to be somehow reshaped. So we are looking not only at the engine, actually, but but the whole balance of plant to get it then working for our customers. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you mentioned kind of at the beginning of the answer was this maybe a fuel mixing with hydrogen and gas? Is that, yeah, that did I hear that right? Also, uh, yeah, that is happening. Uh, I, I believe in UK, for instance, uh, they have targets to mix hydrogen into the natural gas pipeline already in the coming years. So um, those existing power plants, for instance, need to get ready for allowing these hydrogen blends. And, and we can say that up to 25 volume percent, you can mix hydrogen into uh, the, the gas without any major changes in the engine performance or or any lifetime or maintenance needs but so that is one stream we are looking at but then we have customers and countries that are aiming for pure hydrogen and are considering of building a hydrogen backbone um, 
through the country. So of course, having pure hydrogen available, then then you also need to have the engine for that purpose. But then again, uh, some customers are asking if if you then are allowed to to switch back to gas in case you don't have hydrogen available. So it could be that we we still need to consider to have a multi fuel engine or or dual fuel to have gas as backup. Uh, it's fascinating because so, I, I, I hear about the, the pipelines, but yeah. I never hear about the engines themselves and, and the technology. And I, I actually, I think this is the ultimate determiner is the technology at the end of the pipeline. Yeah. And yeah. And in a way, to get all this in place, you need to have the whole value chain. You need to have the infrastructure. You need to have the, the volumes of hydrogen. So that's also something we need to have in order to finalize our engine tests. We need to have a customer that has actually all the needed hydrogen to run long, uh, long um, running hours and get validation done. Are, are there different, these are really basic questions, but are there different kinds of hydrogen? I mean, hydrogen from different sources has different properties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, hydrogen by compo- uh, composition or chemical properties is pretty much the same. If you talk about pure hydrogen, it's it's the same molecule. But of course, um, where it's coming from, if it's gray, blue or green hydrogen or pink hydrogen, that makes then the, then the difference in, in the big picture uh, on emissions, how you calculate the, the mass balance. Uh-huh. So gray is from like a carbon-based, yeah, fossil fuel-based. Yeah, gray is one. like, as as we do produce hydrogen today from natural gas, uh, I think 97% is produced from natural gas. So uh, in that production by steam reforming, um, you produce also CO2 or and carbon monoxide, which are typically released to atmosphere. So of course, if you allow those to be uh, released, then it's it's gray hydrogen. If you add carbon capture to it, so you you capture all the CO two, then you talk about blue hydrogen. Okay. Still, the question is what what you do with the CO two? Will you store it underground or will you utilize it somehow? And then green hydrogen is only if you produce the hydrogen uh, by green energy, so wind, solar, hydro. Uh-huh. And pink. Pink is the <laughs> nuclear hydrogen. Oh, yeah. I like, I've never heard. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, depending on a country, I would imagine they have a preference over, like, for example, Austria is anti nuclear. That's very clear. So they wouldn't be interested in pink hydrogen, but maybe Hungary, which has nuclear power. And and actually, Finland is quite robust in its nuclear power plants and building a new one. They would be interested in pink hydrogen. Most likely, yeah. It, uh, I, uh, I believe uh, it depends a bit on on how the local legislation considers the use of nuclear energy. Yeah. Okay. We won't need to go. Yeah, that's go not there really today. my topic. Um, <laughs> that I, I would no. be a professional. <laughs> no, no, it's it's touchy. So uh-huh. it's it's fine. Um, and then, so this is the because uh, on on the website you have this power to X hydrogen. So this is what we're talking about. Is this program power to X? Yeah, power to X basically means that you have um, excess renewable energy, the the power, and um, our electricity grids cannot buffer uh, the extra energy so you need to have either batteries um, which of course we are also delivering to um, today to our customers but batteries only um, fit for short term or short term energy storage a couple of hours eight hours maybe 
but then for long term, for seasonal energy storage, uh, you need to come up with something else. And there we see that maybe um, turning that electricity through electrolysis into hydrogen and the chemical energy allows you for, for a longer storage because, yeah, hydrogen will, will stay Mm-hmm. And for storing hydrogen, can that occur like gas is in the ground for gas storage? Can hydrogen be stored the same way or yeah, differently? Yeah, I think it can be stored also, especially in uh, Middle Europe. You have these old salt um, mines, mines yeah. yeah, which could be used for, for hydrogen storage. Uh-huh. Yes, thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. No, no. I, uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting, this stuff. And um, then you get into this hybrid power plant. So we were definitely switching to the uh, energy side of things. And this is kind of where we're going is, uh, is how... Um, I'm trying to figure out a question. I was just wondering, maybe maybe the easiest question is, can you explain what a h- hybrid power plant is and... Um, how how is this being developed and how do you see I, I see it's a work in motion so there's no uh, end state but what is what is a hybrid power plant yeah hybrid is in a way it comes with several energy source options so um we are now looking at um or we see wind and solar energy to be in a way the the renewable energy of future so but that is in a way that is not enough because it's not always windy. It's not always shining. So you need to have some backup for that. And of course, batteries on the high peaks, you can you can store some energy in, into batteries and then take that into use. But it m- might not be enough to, to supply a uh, required amount of electricity. So then as a hybrid, you actually have also then the fuel that you can introduce through the combustion engine and, and guarantee that the electricity is stable and always available when you need. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the hard. And so you're bringing your different divisions in, and I would imagine there's a lot of suppliers involved in working and developing this. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but here I have to say, I'm not from our project organization that are dealing with all the suppliers. <laughs> so I'm representing our technology department. Um, yeah. So we are in a way one step um, more back to the to the back office, you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but the challenges the challenges must be really mm-hmm. big and trying to figure out how it all can be flexible. Yeah, in it's, a, yeah sense. it's very and it's very different um geographically as well. And uh, Vartila is is very global. We are I think uh, present in in 180 countries today. And um what we have done lately uh, is that we have modeled uh, for 145 different countries uh, their uh, renewable energy map. So how it would look like if they would be just running on renewable energy. And uh, of course, there is variation. Some can benefit more of wind and others from solar. And then, then you need to have the renewable fuel as, as the final um, solution. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but it's really uh, amazing how um, you're able to bring in and we start. I mean, you start to see the benefits of a large company like this, where there's so many different expertise and, yeah, and products. That's right, and, and we have uh, access to quite a database as well globally. But if you're interested, it's vartila.com/atlas, where, okay. where you can find this. And, and all all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. 
Uh huh. Uh-huh. And it's these local solutions. And so it's really in this gets into more of my my research area about how each country has its own energy system. And and so for you, though, I mean, it's really important to have local people uh, in those countries. And uh, of course, you have your corporate knowledge, we could say that's just out there mm-hmm. internationally. But you also have the local knowledge that works with yeah, the stakeholders. Yeah. And we need to have because um, we also have our service business, we are supporting and serving our customers. Um, so I think there are four or 5,000 people all around the world just for serving our customers wow. today. And and how maybe this is not, <laughs> you don't have to answer this question, but I was just thinking of like job creation. So, so you have, you have all these employees, you have this new technology going out. Is there an area, maybe uh, a side of the business that's developing more than, than another side or what, what area of the business is developing uh, quite quite quickly. Oh, if only I could tell you because um, <laughs> we have so many business lines, and uh, yeah, very hard to say what what of them is is today really speeding up. But of course, our battery uh, energy storage system is is really um, growing their market share, and I think we are. We did an investment in 2017. Uh, we bought the the Greensmith uh, company. And I think today we are in top three together with uh, Tesla and Fluent on, on the storage system. So that is really where the Excellent. industry is going. And, and uh, are your customers, maybe you know this, maybe not, um, mainly large industrial? Or you mentioned Tesla, so then I'm interested, is it on the consumer side as well? Um, no, we are more on the utility um, okay. business, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, build, continue with your relationships. And then the consumer side is a whole different business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is then a strategic decision to to change um, markets and and customers. Uh And then actually brings us to, I would say, our uh, final questions about the organization as a whole, actually. And it is this this transition. And because I'm really impressed by, yeah, the, the products, uh, and the direction of, of the company. And I was just doing just in a management sphere of, of, I don't know, knowledge, how, how is the company itself, um, transforming itself and the skills base, knowledge base of mm. its workers to, to meet these challenges? Yeah. Yeah. This is very, uh, topical question nowadays, you know, I, we, it's not, it's not, I'll just say, I'm glad I'm not answering the question. So <laughs> yeah, I was just also wondering how to answer that. Um, of course, we, we are used to continuous change. You know, if there is a silent period, you know, that soon there is a change coming. And um, now we see that the change um, is in a way, is more rapid and more frequent changes. Continuously, there's something new coming and, and we need to get prepared. And um, recently we have just refreshed our our strategy, the, the new Bertila way and our purpose, which is uh, enabling sustainable societies through innovation in technology and services. And that said, innovation is really in our focus. Um, and we are already investing in into it. We are building at the very moment in Vasa, in, in Finland, in our mother country, a smart technology hub, where uh, not only Vatsila people are, are 
getting closer to each other. We are combining our labs um, so that they are along the same corridor and, and you will have people uh, colliding into each other on the corridors. You know that you will have some contacts that you didn't expect, uh, but we are also inviting their uh, partners suppliers, universities, so that um, we can really collaborate on on, on new technologies. And um, no, no, I think it's 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 brilliant. I mean, especially <clears throat> during COVID and then continuing our, I would say, at home working. And yeah. I can really see, um, yeah, just the advantage of being physically close to each other and these kind of meetings that you just meet in the hallway, this type of thing. Like yeah, it's yeah. And kind of, yeah, it's soft, but it works. Yeah, And it's not only meeting your own team, but actually you need to meet also the other teams. And and that's what yes. um, our new office setup is also about. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's really smart. Um, actually I'm just a bit envious. Okay. So, <laughs> and then, but, but you also mentioned sustainable societies and can you explain why did this come in? And maybe this is not your research area and I'm yeah. a bit biased on the role of society and yeah, energy transitions, yeah. but why sustainable societies? Yeah. Well, uh, societies is of course, in a way, but that's a big question, but it's, in a, it's not only technology that we can provide, or it's not only green fuels or, or greenhouse gas emissions that we are reducing, but actually we should look at the bigger picture and make sure that also the society is, is healthy and um, it should be sustainable. We can we need to look at the whole picture and not just limit our focus on, on the technology. And um, that, of course, brings us back to the waste. Um, if we could utilize more of all the waste that we produce, I turn that into fuel. That's that's solving um, the fuel problem, but that's also solving the waste issues that municipalities have nowadays. So, in a way, thinking a bit bigger and um, do this uh, sector coupling, which is a buzzword nowadays. Um, but I think that's where where we are going. Mm. Yeah, right. I mean, in a sense, the circular economy is here, or was yeah. always here, yeah. but right. There's no waste. There's only. I don't know, more resources yeah, or something, right? Yeah. That feedback in. Yeah, maybe uh -huh. we can take an and, example again from the shipping, like uh, being an isolated environment. Yeah, I mm. think it's a great example. I, I think you, you have to take that as a company and run with it <laughs> because we're, we're right on planet Earth and it's so small and yeah. so much can be done yeah. with it. And my, my final question to you um, is really um, in 2050, and this also goes about um, adapting new technologies and skills is how usually I, I ask, you know, what is the energy system going to look like in 2050? But maybe I'll just keep it closer to home for you. And what is Vatsila as a company going to look like in 2050? What kind of technologies do you think will be out there? <laughs> Oh my God! How many years do we have until 2050? <laughs> it's only 29. But we are very like 25 years ago, and what has happened in the last 25, 30 years? Um, did we even have the gas engine at that time? I think not. And now, now the gas engine is really um, the core of our business, and in a way, it's it's the cleanest fossil fuel. Anyhow, it will it is here to stay. Um, for for the coming decades still. Uh, it is the transitional fuel we need to have to get rid of coal and, and transfer to carbon-free fuels. 
but 2050, um, I hope we are running on, on pure hydrogen um, in, a, in a clean environment, taking control of all the emissions and the noise. And um, yeah, hard to say if we have entered completely new markets uh, with new customers. Um, yeah, as I said, I think in the very beginning, I mentioned to you that we are a very old company, almost 190 years. We have actually started as a sawmill. We have done ironworks. Um, 100 years later came the, the first diesel engine. So we we know how to adapt to the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I'm more optimistic mm. now. I mean, after speaking to you, and, and um, as I mentioned, I usually pay attention to the upstream things or midstream, but really understanding these components at the, at the, I don't say the bottom, but the other side really helps me understand how this energy transition unfolds, right? And the engineering that goes into work, the chemical, uh, the chemistry that goes into, and all these things you have to adapt, mm -hmm. adapt for. But it's interesting that some of these innovations are driven by the customer requests and not yeah, role of regulation out there, mm -hmm. but the customers requesting you to do certain things, and then you kind of looking into it and figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, regulation is driving our customers. Some are maybe one step ahead, and they ask for solutions already in advance. Um, but of course, we are also following the regulations so that we know what our customers uh, face and and what their challenges are, and and we try to find the solutions together with them. So. Yeah. Sorry, I'll ask one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, are there some areas of the world that you find, um, I don't say, I don't say more challenging, but where the regulation is getting tighter that you really have to adapt more? <laughs> we don't need to get too, um, too far. I think EU is at the moment with all the taxonomy and everything, um, really pushing um, natural gas at the moment to the corner. And I think that's a bit worrying because if we do not allow the current business um, to stay, we, then we will not allow business for the coming years. And we, then we lose our transition to the future as well. So we, in a way, we have to ensure that we have the bridge to future. So we need to yes. develop and plan for future, but we also need to focus on the current solutions. And, and that is a bit our worry and my worry at the moment that um, we are not allowed to use natural gas when we still need it. Because mm -hmm. well, <laughs> to be honest, uh, we don't have green hydrogen now available. You cannot take it from any pipe. So we have to wait for that infra to be built up and the, the production capacities to be built up. Mm -hmm. No, no, mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's just a fact, right? We just look at the price of gas right now yeah. and then the reasons for a high price of gas uh, globally. And it is mm -hmm. this difficult um uh, yeah, I'm trying to be polite too. Like uh, we could just say on the political side of things, the signals that gas is going out, but yet other technologies haven't been able to fill that gap yet. Yeah, no. And, and meet the yeah. demand. And then more often I think it's forgotten that actually if we are introducing wind and solar power, so we are already on a system level, we are reducing the, the consumption of fuels like to 10% only. So does it really matter which fuel it after all is if you are, the operational hours are, are dropped uh, to one tenth. So in a way, the system level emissions are already reduced heavily. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I would allow there some flexibility and look at the local 
uh, fuels that are locally available and utilize those instead of transporting green hydrogen then from Australia to, to Germany just to fulfill the German regulation. <laughs> so I hope it goes yes. that way, in a way, to understand the big yeah. picture and the flexibility. And focus on the local, yeah. the local, the local yeah. solutions. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because even as a as a company or however it goes, right? These local solutions, the technology is there, and it's already being deployed. Rather than redoing a global shipping industry to move fuels, different types of fuels around the, the globe. Yeah, yeah, just based on who who pays most for it. Yeah, mm. well, palm oil is a a, a mm. good, I would say, example of what not to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. When it comes to a commodity and trying to replace something, and even the EU kind of rejects this palm oil mm. somewhat mm. Uh, being shipped in from other countries. So, yeah, and and the big push now is energy independence. Uh, and we, we don't need to go all in that. I was really focused on, on the, yeah, the technologies yeah. and the organizational changes that are, that are happening. So, uh, Reta, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. It was nice to, to talk with you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.